Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life, a show that might just get you dreaming about a different lifestyle. If you're new to the show, subscribe on iTunes, and don't be afraid to begin with episode one. Don't worry, you'll catch up. And if you've been listening all along, review us on iTunes, won't you? It helps other people discover the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. My co-host Tiffany is on hiatus right now, bringing a new life into the world. She's having a baby. So instead, I am joined by a really long-term good old friend, Robert Horton, film critic for the Seattle Weekly and the Everett Herald, who's currently on what he calls a sabbatical in Edinburgh, Scotland. Coming to the end of your time, Robert, how do you feel about that? I, I, I don't feel good about it. No? No, it's, uh, no. Got here in uh, February, and uh, I don't want to go. I, yeah, we're, my wife and I are really uh, loving Edinburgh and loving Scotland, and uh, we like the city, and we like the people, and we like all the outdoor things you can do and I like the whiskey and just the whole thing is it's where we love it. So no, I'm kind of, we're, we're reluctant to go back. So as we speak, you're in your about last eight days of being there. Yeah. Do you have a plan to try to draw out the time as much as possible? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're kind of, we're staying in the city rather than, than traveling. We took a big trip last week. In Scotland, we thought we'd go around to, to places that we really like and little walks that we like to take and a couple of restaurants that we like to go to. So, yeah, it really has a sense of we are trying to get as much out of it as we can. And obviously, it's hard to let go when you get to this point. Was that true with you when you knew that you, that you were going to leave like the, down to your last week? Very, very true. Yes. Already feel the separation happening. Right. You're mentally preparing it. I think I did a lot more sitting. I lived near a fountain that was in a beautiful square. And I did a lot more of sitting at that fountain all day long during that final week and watching the people go and staring at the church that was there and trying to memorize all the details of the artwork that was on the outside and enjoying the fact that I could walk across the the way to a cafe and order a beer and walk it back over to the fountain and sit there and just watch the world go by in the blazing hot sun. But yeah, I mean, you already start picturing yourself away. Right, right. The things you do take on a little tinge and you think, in fact, we said this today as we were walking to one of the art museums that, oh, yeah, this is the last time we're going to do this now, this time. We're not going to walk this particular path again. So it is uh, it is it is the bittersweet life, as a matter of fact. That would be the perfect way to phrase it. Yeah, in, in Edinburgh, there's, there's this um, very small river that runs through the city. It's called the Water of Leith. And you can walk along, well, probably all of it, I think. And we happen to be living in a, in a place where we're pretty close to an access point for it. And so we often walk along it. And today we walked quite a distance over to the modern art museum. And it was just a typically beautiful day. And it's just, it was really, yeah, it was really great. Are you the kind of person that once you're back, you'll lay in bed at night and you'll mentally walk through those same places again? Or do you let things go a little easier than that? 
I don't know. I I'm I do have the ability to transition, or so I so I think. So I'll probably just go go into it, but definitely, you know, you collect these experiences, and then, yeah, it's one of the pleasant things of life to kind of go go over them again and walk in some of those those steps that you've gotten to know so well. Why aren't you staying? Well, in the immediate sense. We are in the UK, and you can travel in the UK for uh, six months without a visa, and so we don't have we don't have visas. And we decided to do it that way because there are different levels of visas. But um, for one thing, they actually cost a lot of money, and for another, there's a lot of them are contingent on one thing or another. Like you have a you have a job, or or you have a relative, or whatever it is. Uh, we really didn't have any any of that stuff going on, so we just decided. Well, six months is good, and it's that's as much as we could afford doing it the way we're we're doing. We don't own a home, so we were we moved out of our apartment and moved our stuff into storage, which is where it is in Seattle. So we actually don't have a permanent place to to go back to. Is that nerve wracking at all? It's a little interesting. It's been a topic of conversation lately. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to take the opportunity to move to a different neighborhood or? really mix things up for yourself when you get back? I don't know, because um, now we're going back to a Seattle where none of the neighborhoods are affordable anymore, so I don't even know if... Uh, we probably will move back to uh, First Hill, which is where we were living. I like it there, and it's kind of centrally located, and we know some of the buildings, so maybe that's an easier landing. Now, it seems like, since you're a film critic who can write about films and watch films anywhere, that it would be possible for you to prove that you didn't need to make money in whatever country you live in. Mm. Yeah. Is that something you've actually looked into or no? Um, not uh, too much, but yeah, I mean, being being that kind of uh, self-employed person who has a sort of portable job, which you would think would be, I mean, that's that's got a lot of people now, right, who don't actually need to go to an office. They, they do their thing. So I would, you would think that it would be set up so that that kind of thing would be possible. I just haven't. I haven't looked into it that much. And also with me, it's just, there's the issue of the Seattle Weekly and the Everett Herald are the papers that I that I write for. And I thought I could get away with going away for six or seven months. I don't know what they would think about having a, a writer who doesn't actually live in the city. But I don't know. Why would it be important for you to live in the city of Seattle if you're writing about movies why indeed maybe it wouldn't if all you were, were doing was reviewing i suppose there's a there's some sense where you want to be in, involved in the community in some ways and as you know i'm a very important person uh in the seattle film community and uh, <laughs> yes because very few people in the country can actually make a living writing about movies i give talks at libraries and i worked i did a film program at a museum in seattle for 10 years and i teach at seattle university and so I have to have these other income streams going on. I mean, wherever you are, it's good to have some kind of physical presence rather than just being just sending them in. I don't know. If I can make a living writing reviews only, I guess I could do that. But maybe I maybe I got to think about this this other thing. It's been actually fun because I have gotten to know some people here in Edinburgh who are sort of in the film community. There's a great theater here called the Edinburgh Film House which in June sort of hosted the Edinburgh Film Festival. That's been cool. So there is a, a nice uh, base for people who think and talk and watch movies. But I think I would think you'd have to decide you're going to go whole hog, and if you're going to move somewhere, then you get involved with that scene. 
if I'm going to stay in Seattle, then I really should stay involved in that scene. That's a tough one, though. You just seem so reluctant about everything a little bit. I, the people listening can't hear you, or see you, I mean, but they, uh, but I can tell by looking at your face that this is going to be a weird transition for you. Well, I'm, I have a reluctant personality, too. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I really, um, we would love to come back here. So if I can figure out a way of doing it, that could, could certainly happen. I don't know. It's, um, are you plotting ways of you know, going back and having a, an overseas life, like in a, in a settled way? Well, I guess I mentally plot, but I, d I haven't come up with a solution for myself yeah. either. The same thing about how would you make the money? Yeah. That and Derek already accepted a job that's going to keep us here for at least next year. Ah, yeah. So there's that. That's helpful. Yeah, I mean, the biggest question that I, I can't seem to get answered is how do you make it abroad? If you're not with a company that sends you, how do you make it? How do you prove that you can make it? And how do you know um, personally, confidently enough that you can make it to do it? Because moving is expensive. Yes, it is. Regardless of where you go. And so you... It's the same reason why we left Rome was it wasn't that freelancing wise, I wasn't starting to be able to make some kind of income, but I couldn't make an income where I felt confident that I'd be able to pay the rent. Yeah. Just doing radio stories for hire. I wasn't, I wasn't experienced enough in being a freelancer to pull it off. And I lived in a country where I didn't speak the language, which was made it all the more impossible. Everything would have had to happen in English and there's not a lot of English in Rome. Yeah, so that was a problem. Well, you should hear the way they talk in Scotland. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, most of the time you can you can understand people. Uh, the, although the farther north, north you go in the country, it, it becomes uh, kind of a problem. But, um, yeah, the English language thing has been nice. Um, it, it makes everything easier. And people here have been really, I fi have found them very, very engaging, especially coming from a place like Seattle, which, as we know, is a little bit frosty. I think that people here are great. We get into great conversations with people on the street. And just to go back to your question about um, how do you know you can do it if you don't have a job, if you don't have this or that, um, one of the co things that comforts me a little bit is the knowledge that total idiots do it all the time. I've seen them on TV. <laughs> I've seen, I've met people like that. So, you know, come on. If they can do it, surely we can. Can't be that, that much of a secret code. So I hope that's comforting to, you know, uh, everybody out there. Yeah, it's like a blanket for me. I love that. Maybe I need to trust in myself a little more. Yeah, I mean, what's what's the worst that can happen, I guess, uh, is another question. Why did you pick Edinburgh, of all the places? Um, I'd been here before. I'd visited before a couple of times, and I just thought it was great. It's a very picturesque city. I thought it was easy to get around, and it turn, turns out that it's much easier to get around than I even remembered. It's kind of a compact city. But it's just beautiful. I did. I mentioned whiskey. I think I, li I like uh, the culture of people enjoying their whiskey and all the pubs that are around. And there's a lot of art here, and there's a lot of museums, and and it goes at the right pace. I kind of like the weather. It's not. Um, it is a very mild climate, and I I actually find that conducive to creativity. Have you found that you explored different sides of your creativity than you would have had you stayed here in Seattle for the last? six months? I don't know about different sides, but I, one of the main things that I wanted to do was to have time to do some writing, thinking about some film book ideas. 
because I was busy all the time in Seattle, this was also a way to spend more time with my wife, which was uh, something that we talked a lot about. And the gift of time was one of the big things about coming here. And why not be in a you know beautiful place? And you're reminded of, you, I'm sure you found this true in Rome, you're reminded of time constantly because of how old everything is. These layers of history. Like there's this place in uh, Edinburgh, a uh, neighborhood called Grass Market, there's a shop there that's like a novelty store, and they have really stupid novelty items, fake vomit, I mean, all of my favorites. And you look over the door, and, and the mantle, I guess, is what, I don't know if that's what those are called, says something like 1692. And it's like this building that's been there since 1692 is now selling fake vomit and masks and stuff. And it's just, um, being around old things is just, is just great. I grew up in Seattle, and it's the new city. It doesn't have anything that compares to that. It's just one of the great, great things about living over here. What I found when I was living in Rome was that it made me think about my own mortality a lot. When you're looking at that much history, this period of time is such a drop in the bucket. Have you had any of that? Any uh, existential crises? Uh, oh, it's not a crisis for me. Uh, I, no, I'm constantly <laughs> thinking about my own insignificance and mortality. Uh, <laughs> So that, although that's a pastime for you, that's <laughs> just no, it's just always there. Uh, it's um, it is true though that there's there are some I, I do think you get reminded of stuff like that more, and there's something about all the memorials too, statues to famous generals and and writers. That's one of the things I like about this culture is that they they build memorials to writers and they name streets after them and buildings and stuff. It's like we don't do that in America. I was just thinking. There's um, these old graveyards here, and some of the gravestones are so elaborate, and they have the skulls carved on them. I mean, like really death, 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 uh, coming right at you. They don't mince any words. I always enjoy seeing that. But no, it didn't make me too. Didn't make me too gloomy or morbid. No, <laughs> no, no more than no more than usual. We should talk about movies since you're a movie critic. Sure. First, maybe I should just ask: in the uh, six months that you've been there. Is there one or two that stick out as being the best films you've seen this year? I just saw one that I thoroughly enjoyed called A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence. That's the whole title. Kind of reflects back on what we were just talking about, uh, which is made by a Swedish filmmaker named Roy Anderson. I really liked his previous film a lot. It's called Youth of Living. And this one wasn't quite as good as that, but I enjoyed that. And also I enjoyed it because I... Uh, I saw it at the Edinburgh Film House. Is it centered around a pigeon? There's a pigeon that plays a role, but it's actually not that important. He's minor in the whole thing. Well, they got top billing. I haven't seen too many great films, but it's it has been fun to go go to the movies in an unfamiliar place. We live in an area, the Broughton neighborhood, uh, people call it, sometimes Bellevue. It's called the Omni this this uh, multiplex and it's just totally state of the art new and nothing there's no atmosphere or anything like that but it is fun just to go to a big big theater and see you know I saw the Mad Max movie there and I just saw Mr. Holmes with Ian McKellen you find out what the habits are here in the UK the movie has a starting time if you get show up at that time you'll see 20 minutes of trailers and commercials very elaborate commercials, very expensive commercials, actually. But the movie doesn't start when it says it's going to start. You're going to see all this other stuff. And for that matter, in the case of that place, here you, you get to go to a theater where the seat is assigned. Yep. That's how Rome is, too. 
Yeah, you get you buy your, your ticket, you know, for a specific seat. Kind of fun. And they pack you all into the middle right next to each other, right? Yeah, <laughs> unless you say something. Because usually if you say something, they will like, you know, I like to be in the back row by myself. Uh, they'll, they'll accommodate. Did you go see the new Jurassic Park movie? I have not seen that. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. And I also saw the Avengers Age of Ultron. It was fun to see because I'm almost on this like diet where I haven't seen those big giant movies. So it was kind of fun to see a big giant movie because I'm not seeing them right now. Oh, that was another thing, another reason that for this whole break was that I wanted to read more. Actually, instead of going out paying for movies, we've been going to the library and just getting books and reading a lot has been great. That was one of my goals. And I'm happy to say that I've been able to do that, read more. Best book you read? I enjoyed uh, finally reading a book by a famous Scottish author, and he's well-regarded here, um, John Buchan, who's the guy who wrote The 39 Steps, the novel that the Hitchcock film was made, the famous and great Hitchcock film was made from. And that was really fun just to read that because there's all these descriptions of of Scotland in it. Later, uh, my wife and I walked not a super long distance path, but a 13-mile path called the John Buchan Way, it's very easy to imagine the scenes from the 39 Steps playing out on these hillsides, covered with heather and out in the middle of nowhere. It was a great, uh, wonderful walk. Would you say that film in some way played a role in you wanting to live abroad in the first place? I have no doubt, yes. I think I was formed by ideas that I got from books and movies the idea of uh, living abroad, having different experiences and seeing different things. My mind was infiltrated, yeah. Do certain films stand out, those that influenced you? There are a few from childhood that I thought of that, that kind of formed an original idea of what it was to, to be abroad. And one of them was um, this film from the 60s called Two for the Road, which I saw when I was a teenager probably, or an adolescent really, on the, the afternoon movie on TV. And um, Audrey Hepburn and Albert Finney are in it, and... and it's an interesting movie because it keeps cutting back and forth between these different trips that they take. So you see them when they're very young, and later you see them when they're married, and then later you see them when they're really angry with each other and not getting along very well, and it keeps going back and forth amongst all those things. But uh, I love the, the way they portrayed just knocking around Europe and how much fun it seemed to be, and you were just in some, some place that looked completely different from everything you, you knew in the States. And then I also thought when I was a little bit older, I saw, um, you know, the great film uh, from Scotland, Local Hero. When that came out, and I've talked to a lot of people who had a sim- similar experience, it's just kind of an enchanting film, and you really want to go <laughs> to where it's set in this little village in Scotland, you know. What's that movie about? It's um, it's from the early 80s, and it's about a, an American who works for an oil company, and he gets called to this little town in Scotland because his giant, rapacious company is going to take over and drill. And he just completely falls under the sway of this tiny little town and the eccentric people who live there. And, and it's a wonderful film. And that certainly... I think I'd already been to Scotland when I saw that. I think I had... Is that right? No, I hadn't. I hadn't. I had no... No basis for knowing anything about Scotland. So that must have totally formed my ideas, I think. I just, it's one of those films you see it and you think, oh, I, I got to go there. 
I was talking with uh, our mutual friend Steve Share on a radio station that where you guys used to work at, and we talked about something like this subject, and someone called in and said that she saw a movie called Summer Lovers from the early 80s. It's a terrible, terrible movie. Awful movie. In fact, I, I wrote about it when I was, was a very young writer and made fun of it mercilessly. And she said, um, I don't think she thought it was a good movie either, but it made her want to move to Greece because it's set there and these people had this great experience, young people. And she actually moved to Greece because of this film. And she lived there for like years or something. And I thought that was so great that somebody would like change their whole life because of a really bad movie, really <laughs> just the worst kind of film. But it doesn't matter because you just, you know, it catches your imagination and something something hooks you. Well, my co-host to this podcast, Tiffany Parks, I believe got the idea that she was going to live in Rome from a room with a view. Oh, well, yeah. Why not? Yeah saw that as a child and made that her life goal. Yep. So another person who moved abroad, at least partly because of the influence of a film. Why not? Yeah. I have visited the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina because I like the movie Last of the Mohicans so much. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do crazy things. Those are both much better movies than Summer Lovers. <laughs> so you guys have nothing to apologize for. Yes. Oh, fair enough. It seems like there used to be a lot more road type movies than there are today. Is that true or is that just my perception? I don't know because it does seem like it, it It periodically comes back. I think it's cyclical. I think people kind of rediscover that there might be an audience for that kind of thing. But uh, gee, I don't know. Is, is it been a while since something like that came out? Maybe, maybe it has. Well, here's the other problem. And I think a lot of people can relate to this as well as TV gets better as these big, long series come out. You just don't go to the movies as much. And I wonder what that's going to do to affect people like you and, and the movie industry in itself going forward. Yeah. And you can show things that are written or imagined for uh, grownups and, you know, you'll get an audience for it and you'll get a big following. Whereas big movies are now mostly geared toward uh, teenagers that's who they're being written and made for. I guess you can just keep doing that and doing that, but... Why is that, do you know? Why would teenagers be the target? But, well, they're the ones who go to the movies. Uh, it's, it's that getting up off the couch thing. When you're between the ages of 14 and 26 or what, whatever the demographic is, you want to go out. You want to impress your dates and you want to hang out. And you will see movies more than once, too, because it's the big movie. You just have to go see it and... Uh, somebody in your group hasn't seen it, so everybody goes to see it again. And it's just the truth that that there are way far fewer people uh, over the age of 30 who are willing to do that and and keep the movie business propped up. And they've had that, the studios and the producers have had that figured out for some time now. And so now they're not making movies for older people and, and it becomes um, self-fulfilling. Even though we keep getting these examples of films that are kind of smart and grown up that do pretty well, but I don't know. I don't think I don't see anything changing that cycle anytime soon. Does that make it hard for people like you? Who's your audience? It's probably not teenagers, right? So does that mean you just have a a shorter list of movies that you can watch 
to recommend or less to write about? Or are you finding ways to spin Jurassic Park into the most amazing <laughs> review ever? Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, the job of uh, writing about movies, you know, what you're hoping for is that people want to want to read you. It doesn't matter whether they actually go to the movies or whether they're going to watch that film on cable six months later. There's still people who want to read it because it's writing and because maybe it will entertain or enlighten them. In that sense, there's no shortage of things to write about because it's still interesting to write about uh, big movies uh, as well as small movies. And as long as there's a lot of variety, if you can get away with it. But yeah, otherwise, it's, <laughs> it's a, it is a fair question of who, who am I writing for? Uh, and uh, this is depressing me more than the thoughts about mortality and... and uh, <laughs> Death in death in Venice, death in Rome. Uh, that we were talking about earlier. It is tough, actually. It's tough for you know, people who want to write about film these days. Well, maybe just to end, would you say that your expat experience, or maybe you don't want to call it that, your sabbatical, will have some sort of lasting effect on who you are as a person once it comes to an end? Absolutely, it will have a lasting effect, and I, I wish everybody could have the opportunity to do that. Although don't come to Edinburgh because I don't want I want to come back here and I don't want prices to go up or anything like that or it to get more crowded. So forget what I said about that. But uh, I think it'll change us. It's really left me with the feeling of I really like to live overseas for a while and uh, find some job or some situation where I could pull that off. And, and uh, luckily my wife uh, feels the same way and... Uh, yeah, we're we're kind of leaving with some determination to not have this be some sort of isolated incident, but maybe something that we we now determine that we want to pursue in a in a more uh, long term kind of way. Well, Robert, I'll be here in Seattle for you to cry on my shoulder when you come home. <laughs> we will be comparing notes. Yes, because nobody else is going to want to hear about your expat experience. That's right. That's right. They're going to say, "Well, let me tell you what happened while you were gone." Yeah. And I need you to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. <laughs> and what about the weather and the traffic in Seattle and all that? So try to insulate yourself against all the things that are about to descend and enjoy your last few days. I can tell that this is hard-won advice <laughs> from someone who's done it. Uh, I envy you that you still have those eight days left. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, where we will try to make the most of them for sure. Robert Horton again, film critic. Seattle Weekly, the Everett Herald, my friend for a long time, appeared on my old radio show. I don't even know how many years on a regular basis. Many years, yes. Used to have a wonderful theme song as well. And now he's just a man on his own. Yeah, I know. Without a theme song, I will get another theme song. This I vow. All right. Well, maybe if I have you on again, I'll, I'll dig that old theme song up. And until then, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sybil. Tiffany will be back as soon as she's able to be. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes, maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best.